2: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Roto World Football Show Week Three Recap. We are breaking down the entire Sunday slate. We had some historic happenings on Sunday, including Denny Carter's first game. He's going to talk about where the Dolphins put what is known as a seventy burger on the Broncos, seventy to twenty. Never said the seventy before as a score out loud when talking about the NFL. Denny, we're going to talk about that. We're about yeah. the Patriots versus the Jets. Denny's is going to ask me about the Chargers versus the Vikings. Now we're going to get on to the rest of the entire Sunday slate, which was a weird day. Nothing weirder than one of the only games where we got a lot of fantasy points than he Dolphins 70 Broncos 20. You were telling me before yeah. that uh, Russell Wilson didn't even play that poorly. Russell Wilson, of course will always be a topic of discussion when the Broncos lose, but we can't start with Russell Wilson, and the Broncos. We will get there as much, as incredible as two was 25 of 28 for 376 yards. And five touchdowns. That included actually Mike White's line of two of two for 67 and one. Two, it was 23 of 26 for four scores. The Dolphins rushed for 350 yards and five touchdowns, mm-hmm. including 18 carries for 203 yards from Devin A. And what I believe was his NFL debut or was yeah, it, that? it no. one touch? It, yeah. Two touches last week. It's the Patriots. Uh, I'm already butchering some stats right off the jump here. All right. Um, but just what. In God's name, happened to start monologuing about what the Dolphins' offense did to Sean Payton. Who Sean Payton just down horrific after the Sha- game. Sean
3: Payton. Uh, shortly before we logged on to record this, I saw Sean Payton screaming at reporters. So yes. that was that's how things are going.
2: For I Sean tweeted Payton. that the man would give yeah. absolutely anything right now to be forcing laughter at Terry Bradshaw jokes. Yes, on halftime
3: desk. I I do think. You know, it may be time to just move on because this is this is not going to work. Uh, no. the, the, the Broncos defense today was by far the worst defense I've ever seen on an NFL field. OK,
2: which is not hyperbole. They were 10 yards away from allowing the most yards in any game in NFL history. It was Unbelievable.
3: The number of big plays. The Dolphins had. "I'm convinced." Okay, I, you know, no way to prove it, no analytics to to, to prove it, but I'm convinced that if Mike McDaniel had kept two on the field and kept Tyreek in the lineup in the fourth quarter, they would have scored 100 points. I, I, I really think that they could have gotten to 100. It was, it was that bad for the Broncos. Now, coming into this game, the Broncos were, uh, you know, exploitable on defense, but I don't think that anything tipped us off to say. Oh, this is the worst defense ever assembled in the in the history of football. (laughs) But that that that's that's what it seems like here. And the Dolphins took full advantage. Of course, you're you're you know whining before the show that Tua only has 300 yards and four touchdowns.
2: (laughs) I'm just saying as part of the Tua hive, I'm relying on him in my two quarterback home league. It could have been a historic day. Well, I get four touchdowns. Great, cool. Thanks.
3: (laughs) You only get 30 plus fantasy points. Cool. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Yeah, talk talked to Dak Prescott uh, drafters right now. Too, right? <laughs> feeling about four touchdowns. Uh, yeah, and and you know, and, and a couple of them were shovel passes to H Chain. So so let's just talk about the backfield real quick, um, because that was the big story here. Um, so H gets 18 carries, Mostert gets 13 now. I would say that 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 it would have been more evenly split if Mostert had stayed in, in the fourth quarter. They pulled him, they gave the, the workload to A chain. Uh, and later to somebody who I literally have never heard of before. Uh, Brooks is his last name. Nine carries for 66 yards for Mr. Brooks. Uh, Brooks who? Uh, uh,
2: Chris Brooks. Chris Brooks. <laughs> you call yourself, you're supposed, you know, ball and you don't know Chris Brooks.
3: I, Come on. I don't, I'm, I can safely say. quite that literally I, never heard of him either. Uh, I don't, I don't know if anybody has, but. Went to uh,
2: BYU. He's apparently an undrafted rookie out of BYU.
3: I mean, no offense to Chris. He's a big fan of the show. I, I, sh- I shouldn't be you know, hard on him here, but. Uh, but Moster, Moster was the lead back for, for much of this game. But my God, Devin A-Chain just blew the lid off the Broncos defense every single time he touched the ball. I mean, I was slacking you guys. Uh, uh, um, And every time I, I touched the keyboard, it was A-Chain 40 yards, A-Chain 30 yards, touchdown, 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 A-Chain. Four touchdowns for this guy, a couple really well-designed shovel passes near the goal line, which actually are unstoppable and I'm sure that teams will try to stop it but they will not be able to because they're so well designed um I, I i don't you know obviously you're not going to have 200 yards from a Shane every week i i do think that you have to be prepared if you have a shane or if you're going to get him this week that Mostert is going to be the lead back here so um a Shane is not going to come in and get 20 carries a game i would say most likely he'll see 10 touches a game maybe maybe 10 maybe 12 or so. Um, and so we, we had to keep you know, things in check a little bit there.
2: That would be maybe a good outcome for Devination, who was a really strange player over the offseason. He was the Dolphins' second pick, a team that didn't have much draft capital. He was hyped a lot after he was taken because he was kind of a pre-draft darling, extremely fast, which showed up against the Broncos, but very small. I believe he had a small summer injury, did not have a hyped training camp, was inactive for week one. I think I'm – maybe I'm imagining that. And you know, he had a shoulder injury. It was inactive for week one. And was this a guy we wanted to be excited about, like real early in the offseason? Then there was no reason to be excited. And then the word kind of came out he was going to have a bigger role today. Salvin Ogman was a healthy scratch. And we said no idea what to expect. Um, and I don't think uh, anyone had 200 yards rushing. And the range no. back comes for divination.
3: No, I mean and, and Mostert was good too, you know, the three touchdowns for Mostert on the ground, 6.3 yards per carry, had a, had a 20-yard run mixed in there. Um I will say that the the rumors about A-Chain being fast are true. I can confirm that he is the fastest man alive uh, b- besides Marvin Mims who is somehow faster.
2: It's funny how too how frequently like that time speed does not translate to game speed. The Dolphins seem to have uh, maybe identified something in their front office about guys whose time speed will translate to game speed. Uh, they identified that, of course, with Tyreek Hill, who uh, had almost a decade of film uh, on that. But it seems like they're on to something right. with guys who play as fast as they time. Yeah, and, and
3: I would say the A-chain looks a lot like Tyreek Hill on the field. Tyreek Hill, of course, a former running back, and they they run similarly in that they eliminate angles. Like, Tacklers who are trying to take an angle on Tyreek Hill, they never catch him. And so yeah. the same thing with Achain. I mean, there were defenders for Denver who had great angles on him and should and and anybody else in the league, they would have gotten to him. But no, Achain blows away those angles instantly. He's really impressive. Um, just just unbelievable day.
2: So Denny, the two biggest rushing performances of the season, by the way, are Devin a um, against the Denver Broncos on Sunday, and DeAndre Swift in Week Two. Against the Minnesota Vikings on Thursday Night Football, just the way we all drew it up. We yeah, aren't uh, feeling totally helpless and hopeless. Yeah, <laughs> we prognosticate. Yeah, okay. by the way, the Dolphins, who played two, two or three, actually, I think they played three separate games right. of the year against the Buffalo Bills last year. They did, including their playoff loss with Skylar Thompson. 1 p.m. Eastern on CBS in Week Four, the Bills and Dolphins feel like maybe that deserved the late window. Um, Hopefully Tua Tagovailoa can stay hot, who got off to a similarly hot start last season for the injury issue set in. Right now, an MVP contender. No MVP contenders in Denver. Nothing to smile about in the Broncos' life, Denny. um, Just take us through including, let's just start with Russell Wilson not looking as bad as you might. Not that the box score is bad. 306 yards, one touchdown. He had a pick. Only took one sack. Uh, he didn't have any fumble issues today, even though Cortland Sutton lost two fumbles. What did you see from Russell Wilson, who uh, also you couldn't help but pile on in his blurb. You noted that he stayed in the game, even though they were down 50.
3: Uh, that was noticeable uh, because guess what? Every other uh, starter for Denver was out and, and Russell was in. And the announcers were saying, well, Ru- Russell's a gamer. He just wants to stay in. <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm not no. positive that that's the reason he was in the game. I think he was in the game as either a punishment or an evaluation period for whether Jared Stidham will get the or call. Maybe He'll Sean talk. Payton
2: had fallen asleep, but that, that
3: could, that could be it too. Look, uh, he's actually been, you know, coming into today, uh, Russell Wilson was, let's see. Yeah. He was top 10 in adjusted EPA per drop back. Like he's, He's been good and he was good today. Like he threw a pick, but it wasn't like an egregious interception. He threw, he also threw a touchdown to <laughs> Cortland Sutton. That should have been caught a second touchdown. Uh, oh, he threw a touchdown to Jerry Judy that was called back on a penalty. Oh, you need to hear that one. So yeah. And, and uh, yeah, sorry if you're triggered by that, but I am uh,
2: a Jerry Judy drafter as we're known.
3: Yeah. And, and so, you know, Russell Wilson should have had three touchdowns. Uh, he had one. Uh, over eight yards per completion. So the problem is not him. This is the, this is the issue the, the, uh, the problem is the Denver defense. Their special teams is atrocious. I, I don't think it's him at all. In fact, he's, he's going to be a, re- a really great fantasy start next week against the bears.
2: I will say he's almost Kirk cousins. A little bit though, where the box scores look good. He's like getting off the hot starts, but the narrative of the first two weeks was the Broncos offense, just totally going to sleep in the second half. And, that wasn't an issue here, but uh, they're not sustaining the, their offense for 60 minutes, which you're never going to sustain your offense for 60 minutes, but really bad second-half performances the past two weeks, which put the defense in a really bad position. You can't blame the offense for what happened to the defense against the Dolphins. But he's been fine, but he's looking like one of those quarterbacks that if he's going to have like true success, needs to be an elite team. And this has been certifiably proven to uh, not be an elite team after allowing 70 points to the Miami That's Dolphins. Right. What was going on with Cortland Sutton, who had two lost fumbles, but eight yeah. catches for 91 yards and a touchdown?
3: Well, he was carrying the ball kind of like late career LaShawn McCoy, you know, like a loaf of bread. Uh just out life. there for anybody to have. And the Dolphins defenders <laughs> seem seemed to notice, seemed to take notice. Hey, look at this guy's running with the ball 15 feet away from his body, so they punched <laughs> it out twice. Um, and, and and that was that's that was tough. That was tough because he was on his way. To an enormous day, he had a nice day. Eight catches for 91 yards and a touchdown. I mean, I'm telling you, it could have been way, way better. Um, he led the team with 11 targets. Jerry Judy had seven. Marvin Mims had five. Uh, I, I do think you can safely say Cor- Cortland Sutton is the wide receiver one in this offense um he's you know more intermediate targets uh than 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 mims i don't know what jerry judy does this is the i know the,
2: that uh, has anyone ever known what I, he does because he's like he's supposed to be a slot guy who also made explosive plays
3: no i don't i don't know what what he does well What what is it exactly jerry that you do around here because i i, I all, all i know is that sutton is better in the intermediate mims is way better downfield and i wanted to talk about mims for a second because I, we're, it'll be interesting to see, you know, the the, the route participation for for Mims this week. Um, the Broncos headed into this this week against the Dolphins, uh, saying absolutely not. We will not get Mims more involved in this offense. <laughs> um, that is the last thing we are going to do. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if his route rate was up this week. He had five targets, which is you know a lot more than we're used to seeing. He caught three for seventy three. Uh, yards including a 38 yarder in the first half uh, the separation he gets is something that n- nobody else in this denver offense can do and so that that makes him you know unique and, and important i think in the denver offense he also mims had a, uh, a a kickoff return for a touchdown here and the reason i i i had to amend what i said about uh Shane because marvin mims was so much faster than everybody on the field that he basically could have walked into the end zone over the over the final thirty five yards of that return, um, you know. So I, I they have to they have to find a way. Like Sean Payton has to stop being old school and being like oh, the rookie's got to earn his stripes because uh, Sean, if you're listening, Marvin Mims is literally your best player. He's he's not your best receiver. He is your best player. You need to get him more involved.
2: And as you said, as crazy as it is after the 70-20 beatdown, we have to go back to the Broncos well in week four against the Chicago Bears, who probably have a way worse defense than the Broncos, which is hard to do since the Broncos just gave up 70 points. Yeah, But we have to still trust our Broncos. We do not have to trust any Patriots or Jets because there's just nothing here other than Ramondre oh. Stevenson. 15 to 10, the Patriots triumph over Zach Wilson and the Jets. <laughs> who know. Zach Wilson had like under 50 passing yards it seemed like to the very end when they finally started forcing him to throw This start with the jets. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming it was as bad as the box score looked 12 carries for 18 yards. Another just total disaster for Brees Hall, five catches for 48 yards for Garrett Wilson. He was sitting on one or two catches until like the dying seconds of the yes. game. Yes. Uh, I'm assuming it, it was as bad as it looks.
3: It was awful. I mean, I mean, basically the jets can't operate a pro style offense right now. And, and they, they have trick plays. They do the run heavy thing because they're trying anything in their power to hide Zach Wilson. And it makes sense. Right. But you, you just refuse to believe that there's nobody else. This team can get who can just come in and and just manage, you know, not do anything crazy, but just manage an offense, like play professional quarterback. Zach Wilson is incapable of doing that. And it's been three years now. Okay. This is not a rookie. This is his third year. It's never going to happen. The, the, the coping for Jets fans, I think, has actually run its course. I, th- I saw today that basically they've, they've given up all hope. And, and they should because this, this season's over if Zach Wilson is going to continue to play. It's not over if they get somebody else and and I I'm I'm convinced of that because this this team is good this team is is actually really good around Zach Wilson but yeah Brees Hall not playable Dalvin Cook not playable Garrett Wilson barely playable as long as Zach Wilson is under center
2: yeah and that might just seem like harsh and an overreaction to fantasy managers but also probably not to the two people who have been victim to this the past two weeks and it's just a self-evident truth and I'm sorry to use the same analogy I've used so many times before, but Zach Wilson's to the point. When you watch baseball and a reliever, you know, is giving up three or four base runners every night, giving up a home run every other appearance, like you just like, well, I don't know who it is, but there is someone better in AAA than this guy. Has the team be. is going to make a move. That is where the Jets are at at quarterback, and I don't yeah. know why they're hitting their head against the wall with this. It makes
3: well, sense. and then and then Robert Saleh committed to Zach Wilson after the game. He said he's our guy. We're going to go with him into week four against the Chiefs. By the way.
2: I will say one of the only NFL quarterbacks I've ever seen challenge for being as bad as Zach Wilson is his current backup, Tim Boyle. Uh, they need to go out of house to find where I was going to be. Anything to say about the Patriots? I've with hear about this? the New England Patriots. Um, also <laughs> played football. Them. Not really sure what they did. Mac Jones completed 15 passes. Zeke uh, outrushed. Yeah. From Andre Stevenson. Real right. Cool. Real cool. Right.
3: Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty bleak for old Ramondre the kids are calling him Andre, uh, 19 rushes for 59 yards. That's three, 3.1 yards per carry for Stevenson. Uh, Elliot, Ezekiel Elliot had 16 rushes for 80 yards or five yards a pop. Uh, I don't know what really what to say about Stevenson at this point, because he only had four targets caught one for three. You know, it's, it's not like, it's not like, okay, like Zeke's taking a lot of the carries, but, but you know, you can pencil in Stevenson for four or five catches. You can't, can't do either. Like I wrote in I wrote in the blurb after the game, Stevenson has had all of his upside just lopped off uh by this Ezekiel Elliott thing. It's just not there anymore. Maybe if Elliott, you know, misses time this year, maybe it comes back. But you're down tremendous if you took Stevenson yeah. in the third round.
2: Only 13 targets or three games is real bad. I had kind of settled on my take before the season started that it wasn't great for Andre Stevenson, but I thought that all Zeke's addition really did was mean he wouldn't be taking another step forward in fantasy. I still kind of treated 2022 as his baseline. Yeah, and, but yeah, it's been it has been worse than that. He's missed not getting the targets, and, and
3: so, but this Jets defense was is good and has been good. So I don't want to look too much into that uh, into the Patriots being bad on offense today. I mean, Mac Jones was pretty bad. He missed missed some open throws. Looked uncomfortable in the pocket. Was under pressure a lot. Uh, but I I don't know if we can glean too much off this performance.
2: The Patriots offense will be bad again in week four, though, when it faces the Dallas Cowboys who are smarting from by far the worst loss of the entire season. So far, we will get into that later in the show, but Denny, now we got to get into another one of the good games of the day. Yeah. My coverage was sort of good. Good is relative. It was exciting Mm -hmm. when the chargers beat the Vikings 28, 24. I'm assuming you have some questions about having, you you may have seen some tweets. Some stuff uh, went down, quote unquote.
3: I in do. This game. Well, you. I mean, yeah. I, I felt like you. You were on an emotional roller coaster throughout this game. I mean, the, the, you know, these are two cursed franchises, two teams that actively seem to try to lose. Two teams whose stadiums, like you said last week, maybe uh, built on top <laughs> of some sort of burial ground, you know, and, and therefore have cursed the organization forever and ever. Uh, and and it, the game went just as you would have predicted with the with the Vikings refusing to win and throwing a, an interception at the goal line to lose, to lose the game 28, 24. Um, I guess I'll start with the Vikings. Uh, I, Kirk cousins got away with it. three sixty seven and, and, and three touchdowns and one, one interception, of course the game losing an interception. Tell me, was this just all junk uh, production from cousins?
2: No, it wasn't all junk. Cause it was back and forth. And it was also quite necessary because Alexander Madison, You look at the box score, he had 20 carries for 93 yards. What you want to talk about junk was most of that. He had two fumbles, neither of which counted. Uh, One, he was obviously down, so I guess you can't really hold that one against him. One was a horrible red zone fumble where forward progress was not stopped. He was not down. He clearly fumbled, and then they reviewed it, which you can't do if forward progress was ruled on the field, and still announced that it was not a lost fumble, and they didn't even mention forward progress. I have no idea what was going <laughs> on. It was absolutely terrible, terrible call. So nothing going with the running game, nothing going with the defense. Kirk did his thing for the most part. He got Justin Jefferson really involved. He kept peppering TJ Hawkinson with chain-moving targets, kept utilizing Jordan Addison as a nice role player. K.J. Osborne is a nice role player, doing all the things good quarterbacks normally do until he just did the things that Kirk Cousins does, and he had finally been turnover free. But then, so first off, not to get too sidetracked here, they should not even have had the ball. To I'll get back into this in a second. So they had, they were down 28-24, okay. and they're they're driving to for the game winning touchdown. He converts a fourth down. They get to like the five or six yard line, and this was like with forty seconds, and then he doesn't snap the ball to the like twelve seconds, and they're discombobulated. They're rushing. They're freaking out. And like everyone clearly realized they had should have spiked it. He didn't spike it. He then hurries the play and then throws what is the game-ending interception. So horrible clock management, horrible situational football, and then the most ill-timed turnover you'll see in the NFL all day, which is just like how Kirk Cousins is that, to spoil a really, really good box score with just two mind-numbing mistakes, two mind-numbing mistakes in one play. He now has at least 344 yards and two touchdowns in all three of his games. Can you guess the Vikings' record, Denny? Uh,
3: they are obviously three and O.
2: Yes, they are exactly. They are three and Just reverse that. And but by the way, our our analytics king, or who we thought three years ago, and we've long since moved on from yeah. Brandon Staley, is just so absurdly shook that it yeah. makes it's like honestly hard to watch.
3: Yeah. And, oh, he he is as conservative as Mike Ditka in 1984.
2: Well, he's conservative until. Like out of, he'll like lash out, like out of nowhere. It's like, it's like he (laughs) realizes he shouldn't be conservative and he's tired of everyone making fun of him. And he just makes the worst decision imaginable, which is what he did from their own 24. It was fourth and one with a minute 51 remaining. And they went for it from their own 24 and do not get it. And uh, they gave, this is why they're winning 28 to 24. So they're up by a field goal. Wow. Uh, you know, maybe just punt the ball and get a stop. Like, uh, there's oh, s- old school thinking has been discredited for the most part, but there's still some logic to some of it. If you're up by four, just get a damn stop. Just I mean, get a stop.
3: Uh, like, you, you, Brandon Staley actually seems like a double ag- a double agent sent to undermine analytics in sports.
2: He did, and they also had all three of their timeouts. So even if somehow the Vikings had gotten oh, a miracle touchdown. God. And it was just as, it was as bad of a decision as you will ever see. Just totally, totally panicked.
3: So staying with the Vikings for a second, uh, Alexander Madison, signs of life, 25 touches in this game, 125 yards, as far as I can see, um, seven targets. I know he dropped one uh, late in the game, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, almost five yards of carry. So he was, he's, he's back, right? We're back.
2: Yeah, no, because as I alluded to, he had the horrible drop and he had the two fumbles, again, which do the vagaries of uh, the NFL rulebook and just the vagaries of history. Neither counted as a fumble, but it was the kind of game that left the door, let's say, uh, very much ajar for Cam Akers. And I actually would not be surprised. I'm kind of actually expecting Cam Akers to be the lead back in week four when the Vikings come back against the Panthers because it was finally a good box score for Alexander Madison – but he didn't do any of the little things right in this game. And after doing none of the big or little things right, the first two games, like one good like production-based box score uh, is not going to help him out. And I'd say his days as an RB2 are through.
3: And, and it looks like your guy, Hawkinson, kept up the PPR scam today. He
2: did. At least seven catches all three games. He did lose a fumble. He's not good. It's one huge problem for him but he is at least seven catches all three games. I'm down. Absolutely. Tremendous. DJ <laughs> Hawkinson.
3: DJ Hawkinson is taking your home away from you. Yes, um, it's
2: fine. We don't, you know, people, it makes such a big deal over having a house. It's, it, it's not a big it's okay. deal.
3: It's, a, it's fine. Listen. All right. Uh, going to the chargers, uh, Justin Herbert, 405 yards. He he completed 40
2: of 47 passes.
3: Unreal. Three touchdowns, no interceptions, was he as good as the po- box score appears?
2: He actually was They're really hard to poke holes in this Justin Herbert where the stat was Benjamin Solak in the ringer. No one ever with 45 plus attempts had ever completed more than 85% of their passes, wow. which is what Justin Herbert did. And part of this is the Vikings defense. About, I don't think the Broncos defense is even like the, I don't think it's even like the second or third worst defense in the NFL because the bears exist and the Vikings exist. we you can just do whatever you want against the Vikings. The Eagles ran for like 250 yards against them. The Chargers passed for f- over 400 yards against them. Again, he attempts 47 passes, they forced 7 incompletions. Keenan Allen running wide open all day. Mike Williams was running wide open all day until he injured his knee. Very, very bad development for the Chargers. Who Quinton Johnston doing absolutely nothing still. They don't trust him. He's playing snaps behind Josh Palmer uh Darius Davis was even splitting snaps with Quentin Johnston after the Mike Williams injury Justin Herbert was doing such a good job of finding the open guy taking some shots down the field at least three guys had a catch of 25 plus yards nothing no holes you can poke in Justin Herbert's game but Mike Williams going down very very big deal for this offense
3: yeah for sure and and uh, obviously uh keep keep tuned in to Roto World we'll have all the updates uh throughout the week as Check on Mike Williams' practice participation, practice status. Uh, the backfield, Chargers backfield. No Austin Eckler again. Josh Kelly takes 11 carries. He somehow gains 12 yards. No touchdowns. I, th- I saw he was he was stood up at the goal line a few times. Is that right?
2: Uh, that sounds about right. A Co- couple times at least. <laughs> yeah. I
3: mean, it was uh, so so basically they they just are, they're abandoning the run for as long as Eckler is not in there.
2: Yep, 46 scoreless yards on 25 touches for Josh Kelly in two games That Austin Eckler. They have the Raiders in Week 4. I don't know who they have. I forget who they have in Week 4, but they have a bye in Week 5. At most, we're getting one more game of Josh Kelly. You cannot run it back with Josh Kelly, folks. He is just not a good player. Right. And he had the fluky game against the Dolphins. Yeah, you cannot use him against the Raiders in Week 4. You heard it here first.
3: Uh, and then, obviously, Keenan Allen, I think, had, had a, uh, a career day uh, here against Minnesota. 18 catches on 20 targets. 215 yards. No touchdowns. But he did throw a touchdown. Is this, is this what I'm hearing? Is this what the media is reporting? He did.
2: Career high, 18 catches. Career high, 215 yards. Career high, 20 targets. With a 49-yard tutter to Mike Williams mixed in, he?
3: So, uh, it, it seems to me, actually, headed into this game, uh, I was reading about how much... Uh, two high safeties the Chargers were facing and how this would uh, lead to a lot of funneled targets to the short area pass catchers, whether it's Eckler when he's healthy, Keenan Allen, maybe even Gerald Everett, Donald Parham. Uh, It seems like that's working out so far. Keenan Allen has been an elite fantasy option.
2: He did at least six catches for 76 yards all three games and 13 combined targets for Gerald Everett and Josh Palmer against the Vikings, didn't he? Yeah, we love to see that we do love to see it we love to see denny carter we love to see you later this week on the road Oral football show thank you denny see you then
1: the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well
2: NBA training camp starts soon, and here's your chance to get an assist with your fantasy draft guide with the Road to World Basketball draft guide. Visit NBCSports.com and use promo code HOOPS23 at checkout to score a 20% discount, a $10 e-gift card to fanatics, and free season-long tools with your draft guide purchase. Kyle, when you purchase a draft guide. There are some teams you covered that would like to purchase some points on Sunday. We're talking about the Atlanta Falcons, who lost 20-6, to the Detroit Lions. We're also talking about the Indianapolis Colts, the Baltimore Ravens, the Cleveland Browns, and Tennessee Titans. We have to start with the Falcons, though. Who was the culprit in the Falcons just not moving the ball? Six points, bad box scores for Bijan, Desmond Ritter, Kyle Pitts. In other words, you know, the usual. No one, none of these amazing players doing anything cool. Why were the Falcons once again stuck in neutral on offense?
4: I'm going to say it was a combination of Desmond Ritter and poor offensive line play. There were some sacks. I mean, Desmond Ritter took seven sacks. So some of those on him, even if even if just three are on him, it's like one or two too many. Like, you really can't be making that many mistakes. But there were plenty of the seven sacks where he was taken down instantly. Like, just unblocked guy coming through and getting I him. will say,
2: I didn't see this game, but when a, a quarterback becomes known as a sack taker, even an elite offensive line, like, kind of the Falcons flirted with that last year. It was very hard to protect when the, the defense just knows you're you got a sack taker on your hands but I don't know why I just interrupted your point to make
4: that yeah up. no I mean some of them were his fault like he's definitely got some of the sack taker mentality in there some of them were not I don't want to put all the blame on him I thought run blocking wise they also didn't open up many lanes for the the ground game and I will say to Arthur Smith's credit in this game He let Ritter drop back, I mean, seven sacks plus 38 attempts plus at least a scramble or probably upwards of 50 times, which is something he would not have done with Marcus Mariota. Did he get the same results you would have expected? Sure. But I do think it shows like we really give Arthur Smith a lot of crap for what we think is like unsuboptimal decision making, but he's got a really good ground game. He leans into it when he can, and in this case, when he has... I don't know if Desmond Ritter is a better quarterback than Mark's Mariota, but he at least treats him like
2: he is. Which he like, does treat him like he is very unclear if he is. Yeah.
4: Yeah. But you should, when you're, when you're down, you know, 20 to, I think they were down at some point, 20 to three. I think one of their field goals was in the fourth quarter. You have to, you have to treat your quarterback like they're good, whether or not it matters or makes a difference. So They did the right stuff in this one. We got a lot of Kyle Pitts targets. We got some Drake London targets. And then on top of the sack taking, Ritter was just sailing passes left and right. I mean, we are getting an all-time prayer Yards performance from Kyle Pitts. He entered the (laughs) week with something like 59% of the team's air yards. I'm not sure it went up, but it did not go down by that much. And that's an insane (laughs) share. No wide receiver over the course of a season will ever have that, let alone a tight end. And uh, it's not... It's not going down drastically. It will, you know, continue to decline towards a reasonable number, but they're they're trying to get him going, and Ritter is just not finding him. He's not the only one, but it was noticeable in this
2: one for Bets. Any notable positives heading into Week Four against the Jaguars, which isn't a bad defense really, but looked bad against the Texans. That game is unlikely, by the way. Yeah, they might be bad. Yeah. <laughs> Any anything <laughs> positive to cling to for the Falcons? Or I mean, you kind of you kind of got at one positive, or at least. They're adopting maybe more aggressive mentality, uh, but it just did not translate to any production or points against the Lions.
4: Yeah, and their skill position players still look good. It was not like a good box score game for either Bijan or Algier, but Algier had a really nice catch and run where he looked like an elite tackle breaker. Bijan had a good run early in the game where he looked like a strong tackle breaker. These guys are extremely talented, and like Pitts is getting open downfield. That's really hard to do for a tight end. So is Drake London, like – they're all the guys are flashing signs they just can't get these guys the ball enough and in a game where like oh it's actually kind of easy to get Bijan the ball because you can make the obvious choice hand it off to him there's no getting open and completing a pass to him in a game where you're down by you know 17 almost 20 points you don't have the choice to give it to Bijan so I think in games where they play comp- like they can keep it close it's gonna go well because they're concentrated and they're that concent- is the takeaway they're concentrated really scouted talented skill position players but it's going to be hard to predict the games where things go well because it's just on the whims of desmond ritter being good in that individual game or not and he just doesn't look good on his whole body of work
2: i guess the good news is from that front the, the falcons are very much a team not that we necessarily expected the lions to blow them out but we knew it's a more explosive offense than the falcons the, the schedule the next four or five weeks is a lot of games that will should probably stay pretty close the jaguars the Texans, the commanders, the Bucks, the Titans. So, we might actually get a sustained run of production sure. somewhere in there for these really good skill players. We're just in a holding pattern with this elite skill players and this very questionable uh, offense. The Lions, a strange box score. Uh, only four players were targeted, only four players caught passes. I would think every fantasy manager is focused on going in this game. Got no David Montgomery for the Lions. We were hoping that bigger Jameer Gibbs workload arrived and the box score. It did at least 18 touches. Craig Reynolds, only four touches. Bam night, three touches. Dude, I was hoping bigger Jameer Gibbs arrived. Get that dude to 208 pounds.
4: We got to, he's not a pile. He's not a pile mover. I get why they use David Montgomery. Maybe not all. I think he got 21 touches in week one carries all carries. I don't know if he should get 21. Cause when you get Jameer Gibbs on the outside in open space, dude is like legit electric, but like, didn't do much pile pushing in this game. He also got subbed off every now and then, in like passing down situations for Craig Reynolds. So I like, oh, oh, the first play. I believe the very first play of the game, Uh, I, it was like at the top of the screen. I didn't quite catch what happened, but I'm fairly confident. Gibbs is in charge of chipping what looks to be an edge defender. Maybe a safety that came up, but it doesn't really matter. And bad. instead of like, well... He leans into to chip him and then leak out uh, as like a, either a screen option or more just, I think, an outlet pass. There wasn't a screen set for him. And he leans into to chip him and just gets blasted to the ground. Ooh. He gets wrecked. And then Goff just throws one like as he's standing up. And Gibbs is like, obviously, he just picked himself up off the ground couldn't get it. I, I don't want to say put some weight on because maybe that saps the shiftiness. <laughs> the whole point is he's 199 pounds and he just moves like a wide receiver. But like we should consider the idea that this guy needs to get to 208. <laughs>
2: very interesting ahead of week four against the green Bay Packers where so Gibbs he was ranked as an RB one kind of industry-wide this week do we kind of have to give up that experiment with or without David Montgomery
4: no he's still got 17 carries these things will work themselves out I'm gonna say like I don't I don't think he's a pile pusher but in the long run him not being a pile pusher if he gets like 10 cracks at the goal line is gonna cost him the difference between like being a good pile pusher and bad maybe like one or two of those attempts goes poorly at the end like a lot of it comes down to like how good of a push to the offensive line get. He's not the one doing the most work in some of these situations. So assuming Montgomery's out, we're still ranked. He's got good pass catching chops. He got a ton, obviously, of carries. Even if I don't think he's as great on a second and one as David Montgomery, I don't care. 17 carries and good pass catching usage. Like that's what matters. And he's good. He's also legit good. It's just this one fast of his game that I'm nitpicking.
2: It's also like the RB eight to 24 range is just really <laughs> weird right now. And he did get the touches, he does almost everything, you know, big plays, catches, passes, and if David Montgomery's out, volume. So probably will be running it back with him on yeah. that RB1. I, will, line. I will. The other big story in this game, Sam Laporta, eight catches, 84 yards and a touchdown, three pretty productive games to begin his NFL career, subverting the narrative that rookie tight ends never produce. He was the number 34 overall pick, but yeah, at least three, at least five catches in three straight games to begin his career. Did he look as good as the Bucs? first
4: rookie tight end to ever do that? I saw someone float that on Twitter. It sounds, it sounds right. legit. It does it sound sounds legit. legit. <laughs> I did not fact check it. And I'm just going to run with it. It's true. It's, uh, true. it's true. It's true for all I care. I, I know Kyle Pitt's didn't do it. Even he had a good rookie year. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he disappointed us uh, yeah. once in that you can't help remind
2: us. You keep reminding us that he was supposedly good as rookie year.
4: I know it will be good again one day. He'll be a great um, Tampa Bay bucket. No, yeah. not in division. He's going to go to the AFC somewhere. So the last
2: but- Kyle Pitts went to the Bucks. OJ Howard. Oh, oh no,
4: that's a really unfortunate kind of good oh, that you're making. <laughs> no, get that out of here. Sam Laporta, back to Sam Laporta. I can't talk about Kyle Pitts anymore. Laporta is legit good. He did have, I don't want to say his broken coverage, more so like he did a good job at getting behind the defense. But just play action, Goff, I believe, rolls left, and the safety who's over top, I think, is like one high safety, rolls with Goff to the left, leaving. Laporta wide open, right? Like there wasn't anyone 10 yards of him when he got the pass and he cakewalks into the end zone. But like, that was his job on that play. He did his job and it wasn't like horrific coverage. It was just like, that's good play design, right? So I'm not going to like knock him too much for it being an easy one. The play design made it easy. He made it easy by doing his job. He earned that touchdown. So it was a good play and he'll get more chances like that. So, and he, I think he had, what do you have? Like 10 or 11 targets in this game? He's he barely, 11 targets. Like, and Yeah. working in San Laporta's favor. Silly this just, team's number two, right? Not, they don't have
2: anyone else. Yeah. It's not this narrow every week, but again, four players were targeted by the Lions. And uh, it's it's a narrow one that is further narrowing and he's just clearly the second target, the second read right now.
4: Yeah, he's the and, second receiver for this team. He was an incredible like volume pass catcher in college too. Like he wasn't like uh, on an elite offense by any means, but he was a really good like market share of catches, market share of guards, not as much touchdown scoring guy. Uh, but he was a really good pass catching tight end in college. And that is bearing out in the first three games flawlessly.
2: Legit tight end one, Sam Laporta. The Ravens losing to the Colts question mark in <laughs> yeah. overtime, 22 to 19 Gardner Minshew was starting for the Colts. We'll have to start with the Ravens. Obviously just why are the Ravens having such a bummer of a time in 2023? Because even the first two games they won, not a team that was crisp, not a team like making big plays, not a team that was really, yeah. I mean, projecting here, but seemed like they were having fun. What is going on with the Ravens?
4: Yeah, you you got uh, assigned a Ravens game at some point, and you did not have fun watching it. So you kind of impart that onto the team. <laughs> kind of checks out. I mean, th- I think this game was a l- a little fluky in that they had four fumbles, two of which were lost. They like they got looked like they were getting going on the opening drive, immediate twelve play eighty yard drive. The next one's a fumble, immediate punt, then a fumble, then an immediate punt and they just seemed like they completely got out of whack from that second drive. It's a little better coming out of uh, coming out of halftime, but it was really just, like, bad mistakes they made. And, frankly, I don't want to say a, like, lack of a running game, but I do think that probably set them on the wrong path in that they lost Gus Edwards at some point. He went down to a concussion in the second half. They entered the week without J.K. Dobbins. Like, they entered the practice week without J.K. Dobbins. Then, at least we, they probably knew already, but we quickly found out they'd be without Justice Hill. So they're down to, like, practice squad adjacent level running backs and I'm not sure if this is they're like maybe they're seeing something in practice obviously they're seeing stuff in practice that I'm not but they're not using Rashad Bateman so I don't see them as having a true deep threat like that guy is just not Nelson Aguilar maybe Bateman isn't that guy he looked like it last year he's just not
2: he can't be healthy I think what has to be it's very possible he's just not and then maybe it's health issues spiraling into confidence issues could be yeah Something is not right with Rashad Bateman, though. But they're basically, like, they
4: have Lamar Jackson as their only functional running back in that, like, you're just not giving Melvin Gordon 12 carries these days and expecting to get much out of it. So he's their best rushing threat. Their best receiving threats are, like, very short dot scheme targets to Zay Flowers, which, like, that's the NFL sort of moving in that direction. But these are really, like, I don't want to say empty calorie targets, but you have a lot of, of meat left on the bone when you have no one you feel confident in Once to twice a game can break off a 30-yard catch in terms of downfield. Zay can get there after the catch, but he hasn't been doing a ton downfield. So it just seems like a very one-dimensional offense.
2: So we at least got the big rushing day we've been waiting for from Lamar. 14 carries for 101, two scores. Yeah, beyond Lamar, beyond Mark Andrews, who did not have a good day, four catches, 35 yards. Then Zay Flowers, there's just not anyone you're excited about using right now. Even a non-concussed Gus Edwards is not an RB two. He's really barely even a flex, especially in PPR. You're just total touchdown hunting. But like you said, it's not happening for Rashad Bateman right now. Odell Beckham, he's just basically out with age at this point. This is an offense has a lot of things to figure and kind of this identity crisising with trying to pair, I guess, the, what well, they wanted to be more pass happy Todd Munkin ways with Lamar Jackson, who is the premier dual threat in the league, and maybe there's going to be more growing pains. They needed to steal a game like this. This would have been huge for them to steal this game because they have a really tough game in Week 4 against the Browns. A bunch of tough defenses in a row. The Browns, Steelers, and Titans. Uh, They needed to steal this game against the Colts, and we we need a lot more information on the Ravens. The Colts, uh, we got information Sunday, but it's not really applicable going forward because Anthony Richardson Richardson will be back in Week 4, but... Zach Moss, every down player, basically, 30 carries, 122 yards. Trey Sermon did mix in. Third straight game, Michael Pittman caught at least eight passes. Josh Downs caught eight passes. He looks like he's becoming a compiler, maybe getting that wide receiver four mix in PPR leagues. Could he not, Kyle?
4: Yeah, we'll see how his usage is uh, when Anthony Richardson is back, because I do think stylistically he's a good fit for what Minshew is wanting to do, and less so with Anthony Richardson and that Richardson just has a cannon, and you can see that opening up downfield stuff for someone like Alex Pierce, who couldn't get it going in this game somewhat understandably. There's very different stylistically both Richardson and Minshew and both Downs and Alec Pierce, and we saw what Downs can do in this game, which is it's sort of like, say, Flowers. like, And we've seen this with a few of the, the rookie wide receivers this year. Their team just seems like hell bent on getting them touches in a good way. But that also means a lot of design schemed and short eight on stuff. That's what we're seeing mostly with downs, which is still pretty good. I mean, one, it's really bullish for his outlook that his team is so committed to getting him the ball and he's not doing nothing with it. It's, you know, not a breakout game by any means, but it's solid. So I would say the biggest takeaway for me outside of, yeah, dude, Zach Moss 30 carries and he had a, a really beautiful, like over the shoulder in the bread basket at like the four yard line catch that he tiptoes into the end zone. Perfect stuff from him, all the all the carries, not a bad pass catcher. He's at least functional as a pass catcher, and he looked good at it in this game. And I I I mean they cut Deion Jackson. It is weird though,
2: Jonathan Taylor is still expected back in week five.
4: It's it's so weird. Like if you if for some reason Zach Moss was like left on the waiver wire this week his box score is literally empty the clip. It's 30 carries. You do not find 30 carry running backs, but the looming threat is like, I have, I still have no clue. I, I was baffled that Jonathan Taylor stayed on IR. So I am out lost in the woods on what they're going to end up doing with him. So that is the looming threat for Zach Moss. My take is that Taylor still doesn't end up the year on this team.
2: And they seem to love Zach Moss. So. I think he will, especially now mm. they're kind of off to the surprising two and one start and the Jaguars look vulnerable. Yeah and it looks like a really up-for-grabs division that I think it got more likely on Sunday that they're going to hang on to Jonathan Taylor. Division is up for grabs because the Tennessee Titans not looking too hot. They lost 27-3 to to the Browns, Kyle. Uh, I tried to watch this game. It was my secondary game. I did watch it. What do you want to ask me about it? So
4: I, is Deshaun Watson back. This is good. I I saw one highlight. Well, highlight from this game, which I believe he gets. Deshaun Watson gets spun around and throws yes. like a ten yard backward pass yeah. to Jerome Ford, and Ford's yeah. just forced to eat it and lose like twelve yards. And I was like, that's what I expect. Come to expect from the Browns. They've looked horrible through two weeks and were very just completely out of it under Watson last year. And then I checked the box score right before the show, and Watson twenty seven of thirty three, two eighty nine, two touchdowns. Three sacks, which for him is very palatable. No interceptions. Like,
2: that's an elite stat line. Uh, Is he back? He was tilting his face off in the first first half. Like you said, it looked like really a continuation of weeks one and two. But things sort of started to click in late in the first half. And then they did just get it rolling in the second half. And it was easy for them to get it rolling because the Titans are presenting to so little threat. Ryan Tannehill took five sacks. Almost all of them drive-killing so the Titans could not get that running game going. They couldn't get anything going. The Browns' front seven is just wrecking the Titans' offense. And a non-competitive game, thirteen to three at halftime. The, the Browns basically needed to show something in the second half. The, like, they could at least click like positive game script, and they they did. He he got a good, he, Amari Cooper had a big game. Had a forty-three yard touchdown. It was a coverage bust, but Deshaun Watson identified the coverage bust. He found Amari Cooper for the score. He had Amari Cooper for what honestly was probably a 65 yard touchdown in the second quarter. But it, like, without hyperbole, one of the worst calls in recent yeah. NFL history. The ref, who was staring right at Amari Cooper, blew the play dead, saying he had stepped out of bounds. Even it wasn't, it was it's like really six not to even eight close. inches
4: on the broadcast. Yeah. There is a thick band of grass between him and the white block for the outside line. That was crazy.
2: It was not close. And so he got into rhythm in the second half, uh, had some chunk gains, but it is weird. There's no, No second pass catcher right now that we really like beyond Amari Cooper. Donovan Peoples Jones, three pretty empty box scores. David Njoku's dominating snaps, but he's still seeding some targets to Harrison Bryant. And uh, who is the other tight end on this team? There was another tight end who's been drawing some targets. I forget who actually. I think maybe Jordan Aikens on the Browns now. Oh, that sounds right. That sounds Uh, right. And either way, he's dominating snaps, so he hasn't had a big box score yet. And Elijah Moore, people will look at this box score and maybe be like a little encouraged. He had nine catches on nine targets. Uh, Only 49 yards, though. 14 of those yards were on, without almost without exaggeration, one of the more complicated trick plays I've ever seen with three different tosses. (laughs) I got to go find this. They were were truly emptying the playbook, and it still only resulted in a 14-yard gain. Um, He lost a fumble, Elijah Moore they're working so hard to get in the ball, but as we kind of discussed over the summer, it's kind of a bad sign. They have to work so hard to get him in the ball. Like maybe he could just get open and they can. <laughs> and, the ball. and so I, I am, I'm still very much in a holding pattern on Elijah Moore. All
4: right. Last thing on the Browns, uh, my boy, Jerome Ford, Gets there in the fantasy points column off the back of, I believe, a rushing and a receiving touchdown. Yeah. But I, the reason I was so excited about Jerome Ford's outlook, Sans Cream or Sans Nick Chubb, was that uh, he's going to go out and dominate all the carries. And he's a pretty good pass catcher, he'll get a lot of that too. He goes out and sees 10 carries. And I see in the box score Pierre Strong six carries, Cream Hunt five. Harrison Bryant, excuse me, what are you doing with two carries oh, yeah. plus Elijah Moore three, like Marquis Goodwin with one. Uh, is this like in one, he didn't, he averaged 1.8 yards per carry. So maybe they're right to do this. How did Jerome Ford look? Is the box score outside of touchdowns as concerning as it should be for someone like me who I was, you know, he was a blow the fab kind of guy for me.
2: So the first thing we kind of preached this week, the Titans are known for their run defense, very vulnerable past defense, and that it was never going to be, you sh- no one should panic. Basically, if Jerome Ford had a bad box score against the Titans. He did have a very bad box score, except for course the touchdowns, which we're extremely happy about. It was got off to a very hairy start, where this is not an exaggeration. Five different players notched a rush before Jerome Ford did. Um, <laughs> he ended up handling only twelve of twenty-five backfield touches. But the initial pro football focus snap counts from from Nathan Yankee, uh, forty to fourteen over Kareem Hunt, Let's go. Pierre Strong. I think played under ten snaps. He was dominating the snaps. He was out there for third downs. He was the first choice in every running situation. Kareem Hunt was basically a breather back. He could be ready for a bigger role. You know, he's just thrown into the mix this week. I mean, he knows the system at least, um, but probably not ready for what what you would say would be his typical role. But he dominated the usage at least. And maybe it's one week It's Kareem Hunt gets more up to speed. But I think on the whole, it was a positive week for Jerome Ford. And I'm still feeling pretty good about my fab investment. Okay,
4: cool. That's good. That's good. Because I need that Jerome Ford fab investment to pay Ooh, off. I we'll made see, some we'll other risky ahead. investments this year. I made some risky it is, investments this year.
2: It is interesting. They play the Ravens, tough defense, and then they go on bye. So it could be kind of hairy for Jerome. Maybe they, they could reevaluate the whole approach. Yeah,
4: bye by week by could be week. A, re, a reason or a time specifically so for Kareem Hunt to get up to speed exactly. better.
2: So hopefully Jerome okay. Ford a good game in week four against the Ravens.
4: Yeah, we need to get his momentum going into the box. Yeah. They don't have any reason to move off of him. Looking at the other side of the football, this is just a brutal box score. Ryan Tannehill attempts 25 passes for 104 yards, no touchdowns. No one scored any touchdowns in this game for the Titans. DeAndre Hopkins led the way with three, three catches, led the way, tied with Chigo Conquo, 48 yards, led the way there. And his seven targets also paced the team. I guess most importantly, Derrick Henry, 11 carries. In a game where they only attempt 15 carries, is still most of the team's carries, but at 1.8 yards clip, like, do you, I don't want to be all doom and gloom about this, but Henry's old with a lot of tread on his tires and his team is terrible.
2: And he's got a running back taking all the routes from him. This seems terrible. It seems terrible, but I still think it's not as concerning as it could be from a Henry perspective only. He's been out snapping out two or three games by Tajay Spears. That's because they they can't sustain anything in the passing. That's bad. Ryan Tannehill is a sitting duck, yeah. just zero mobility. You know, they're kind of mixing and matching on the offensive line. Their first-round guard underwent an appendectomy this week. That's very bad. He's going to miss multiple games. And I don't see really see anything different with Derrick Henry. The overall offensive environment is different. And, like, I know it's not the plan for Tajay Spears to outsnap Derrick Henry, and they're not getting him touches. He had, by the way, eight touches for nine yards, Tajay Spears. So he wasn't getting it done either – and I think when games are normal, they still want to use Derrick Henry like they always have. I just don't know how normal games are going to be right now. And because Ryan Tannehill, he he's like he's reached his statue phase. He cannot move. He has. And that no was something like he had a
5: seven
4: rushing touchdown season. I would say two years ago. Like he's. I mean, what Every every broadcast will tell you college wide receiver, right? That's how he started out his college career. If if that juice isn't there, what what is there? So. Yeah. I guess we can close with the receivers. Is there any, you probably can't take away much from a game like this, but if you have anything,
2: just Deandre Hopkins, still dominating the usage seven. He was the intended target on seven of Ryan Tannehill's 25 dropbacks, or excuse me, seven of his 30 dropbacks. There were five sacks. Uh, Traylon Burks did draw six targets. They want him to make big plays down the field, but Uh, it's so hard. There's Ryan Tandle's not having time to make those plays down the field because teams are just teeing off on him. Traylon, I think is going to have blow up games, but they're going to be so hard to see coming. And Traylon, I think is hard to even treat as a wide receiver four right now. I think the usage will keep Deandre Hopkins in the wide receiver three top 36, but I, you see very little path to upside right now for Deandre Hopkins or anyone in this past. Trigo Conquille is still not doing anything at all. Three catches for seven yards.
4: Yeah, I think what you said about Burks is, is like pretty uh pretty coherent in that he could have good target games as he did now, but how do you actually in reality manifest those targets in anything when they're they're prayer, guard? you know, I talked about with Kyle Pitts, yeah. but they're they pretty- are Tannehill under pressure, heaving it up, whereas it used to be a mobile Tannehill throwing to A.J. Brown, who's one of the best receivers in the league. Burks may still be good, but if he's not that level of receiver and Tannehill is a statue, this is a recipe for disaster. And it's not a recipe that DeAndre Hopkins, who's getting more underneath work, has to face as much, although it's still
2: not great. Kyle Dvorak, thank you very much.
1: Thank you. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed?
2: Now does is Mr. Eric Somolsky joining us. He got to watch the Buffalo Bills dismantle the Washington Commanders 37 to three. Commanders came into the game with a little hype. The Bills had week one questions. They answered most of them in week two. I'd say they emphatically answered more questions in week three. Uh, What's the first thing you want to talk about coming out of this game, Eric?
6: We got to talk about restrained Josh Allen. we got to talk about (laughs) dink and dunk Josh Allen. Um, you know, I I think this is the second week in a row that we've seen Josh Allen take what the defense is giving him, uh, twenty for thirty two, two hundred and eighteen yards, touchdown, forty six yards rushing, touchdown. The pick was an arm punt on so a. There was and, one
2: deranged pick. I mean, he was, it yeah, was but essentially an arm punt. But it was, it still was kind of they dranged.
6: were they were up sixteen nothing. It was a third and twenty. Um, you know, they were like on their own. I think it was like. 36 40 yard line something like that where there was no possibility really of of four down territory and it was single coverage you know up to gabe davis basically just threw a jump ball to gabe davis um who didn't win the jump ball uh and the commanders got the ball inside their own 20 um so you know it was it was definitely not the josh allen of week one no. uh but you know it next week is is against the dolphins um, and as we Could saw we that offense, back, folks? you know, as we saw that offense, we, I don't know that you're going to get restrained Josh Allen. I don't know that the bills are going to be able to do that, but what I thought was really interesting was, you know, they were up 16, nothing with a chance to ice the game in the beginning of the fourth quarter. They had a third and one and a fourth and one, and they didn't run it with him at all. They ran Damian Harris once and they ran a pass play. Um, and so that kind of tips their hand to me that, unless a game is like really competitive and they absolutely need it. Like they're really going to try to, you know, he'll run if, if something breaks down, but they really don't want him taking hits. Um, so I don't think that hurts him too much. I mean, he had 46 yards rushing and a touchdown today, but it's just something to think about.
2: It is something I think but probably also just for the best It's a smoother running overall operation. Yeah. And he's not taking as many of these needless hits. And like you said, we know, He's got to run when he really needs to. Exactly. Um, so station to station, Josh, on, could seem like a bummer, but I think it'll help, honestly, in the end, getting the numbers we expect.
6: Sure. I mean, week. if you didn't, if you had non-station to station Allen and Josh won that in week one, that was also a bummer. So yeah, this was is awesome. this is a better version. Yeah,
2: we'll see what happens in week four. That'll be a big test for this new yeah. Josh Allen. One thing that's making it easier for Josh Allen to be more station to station, not like he's actually station to station, is James Cook showing a little something in the running game. They finally are having a productive running back. Fifteen carries for ninety-eight yards. We love it in fantasy. We don't love that other guys keep getting the goal line carries though. Josh Allen won. Latavius Murray won it's the commanders. Is it, is it that simple? It looks like where James Cook is pretty effective, especially between the twenties that we still just can't count on him getting that red zone usage.
6: I think that's fair. I mean, he did get a carry today. So the, the, he had a 36 yard carry. He was dragged down the, the two yard line. Um, you know, they took him out. They let Latavius Murray get a carry. Then they let James Cook get a carry. Um, And then they brought brought Latavius Murray back in because the other carries were stuffed. So I think that he'll get opportunities. They're just not going to be as frequent, but he's going to be using the passing game. Um, You know, this restrained Josh Allen, the station to station Josh Allen. There's some more designed QB passes, or sorry, running back passes. Uh, We had seen Josh Allen not want to dump off to running backs before. So I think that's more in play. Um, So I think you'll be happy with James Cook overall. But yeah, he's not going to consistently get the carries inside the 10 yard line, which I don't think is a surprise to
2: anybody. No, it's not. But hopefully, the role can grow. If the overall coaching staff trust grows in James Cook, maybe situations where he gets them down there they'll let him finish the job
6: yeah and latavius murray for the record looks like he's the he's kind of surpassed damian harris for now he has a little more juice he's being used in the passing game too so that's not super fantasy relevant unless you're like chasing touchdowns in a blowout for like dfs purposes
2: before we move on to the commanders, you wanted to talk about the Bills tight ends. Where you said there was I,
6: I did, that. yeah. Uh obviously keep in mind, you know, this was a two-score game into the fourth quarter, but it was a two-score game that the Bills kind of had in hand. So Yeah, we were debating
2: him. this on Slack, actually. Yeah, right? exactly.
6: <laughs> You're like, you want to put you want you wanted the Bills to put them away a little bit because they have a tendency to let teams hang around like they did in week one with the Jets with Zach Wilson, where they just kind of like seemed like they weren't interested in really kind of going for it. And then Zach Wilson was able to bring the Jets back and and win that game. Um, But what I found interesting today is that uh, Gabe Davis and Stefan Diggs both ran 32 routes. The next highest receiver on the team was Deontay Hardy, who ran nine routes. All game, nine routes. Uh, Dawson Knox ran 24 routes. Dalton Kincaid ran 23 routes. So we knew the Bills were going to play more two tight end sets. They have played all three weeks more two tight end sets. Um, when they get in comfortable situations like this, it's going to be a lot more two tight end sets because the tight ends can help at the line of scrimmage. And they also feel confident in both of those guys out in routes that did not lead to a lot of production today, even though, uh, Dawson Knox did see multiple red zone targets. He just didn't connect on any of them. Um, but I really think like the third and fourth wide receiver on the bills, it's Knox and Kincaid. Um, and there are going to be weeks where potentially next week where both guys might be playable. If they're running the third and fourth most routes on the offense in a game that the bills are going to need to pass a lot. Um, those guys could be weapons, but next week is also going to be a test for us to see when the bills really need to kind of turn it on. What do they do with that two tight end set
2: situation? That will be really, really big, big, big test for the Buffalo Bills and the Miami dolphins. Mm-hmm. Week four. Huge game. The other passing attack, Sam Howell, four picks on 29 attempts, took nine sacks, torpedoing really the whole operation. Was he as bad as that box score looks? And Terry McLaurin, Jahan Knotson, neither one of them had an impressive box score yet.
6: Yeah, no, he was not as bad as the – Howell was not as bad as the box score looks. Um, You know, some of the decision-making was poor. Um, Some of the interceptions were poor. He was pressured on 69.2% of his dropbacks. That is the second highest pressure rate according to next gen stats since next gen stats was a thing. Um, so you're only gonna be so good when, when that's happening. We'll say now, devil's
2: advocate, he could be inviting that they know they can tee off on him because he's a young man with poor pocket pocket presence. Sure. But also, second highest, you can't really that's a problem. That can't yeah. be all the quarterback and that's and that's a
6: problem for Sam Howell because even if Sam Howell isn't inviting all of that he's inviting some of it and the offensive line is inviting the other part of it yeah, and yeah. that doesn't it's so, yeah. not going it to change really matter, immediately involved. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so so that is a little bit of a problem that's obviously going to impact the passing game um you know i i Jahan Dotson ran the most routes had the uh, played the most snaps um, of the wide receivers, it was Terry McLaurin that had the most targets with six. But, you know, uh, four targets for Dotson, four targets for Samuel. Samuel also ran, Curtis Samuel also ran more uh, routes than McLaurin. Um, I'd be curious to see, you know, I don't think Eric Bieniemy is like a poor coach. I think we all know that. Um, so I think I'd be curious to see if, if we start dialing up some quick hitters in Washington, if they're not going to get that kind of uh, pocket uh, pr- or that that um, safety in the pocket for Sam Howell if we see some quick stuff to Curtis Samuel, guys like that closer to the line of scrimmage.
2: And just, they're going to be adjustments. They hadn't been tested the way they were tested Sunday right. by the Cardinals or the Broncos, who seem to have a horrible defense. And yes. now they have the Eagles in week four. Stands the reason there'll be a different approach.
7: Yeah,
6: Close- that's tough. Uh, and that's a game that sets up for the next thing, which is, listen, Antonio Gibson played 33 snaps to Brian Robinson's 20. Antonio Gibson ran 28 routes to Brian Robinson's six. Uh, nothing nothing came of it. Antonio Gibson fumbled. He didn't do anything with his catches. Um, Brian Robinson actually looked good. 10 carries for 70 yards, but he had no targets in the passing game. Um, if the commanders don't say, hey, Robinson looks better, maybe we'll get him in on more routes, then like, games like this and games like week four – it's going to be kind of Gibson or nobody um, because Robinson is not using the passing attack right now.
2: Yeah. It's and yeah. Gibson's has not had a good box score by the no, way, y- but yet. And yeah, Robinson, he He looks so much better than he did last
6: he, year. but and, and he looks so much better than Gibson. I mean, yeah. he, he does. Gibson had one really nice run, But the rest of the day was was bad. The fumble, you know, was a a pass behind the line of scrimmage. He tried to juke somebody, He tried to spin around three people, and they just stripped him. Um, and it really kind of it was a backbreaker. They had stopped the Bills on fourth down. Uh, you just kind of have to wonder if the, you know, commander's coaching staff is going to keep going to him over and over and over again. But as of now, we have no indication that they won't.
2: No indication that they won't. No indication that I uh, can think of a good segue. Uh, Eric, <laughs> thank you so much for breaking down this game. Uh, glad for that Bills dub. Talk to you next week, Eric. See ya. Now here to talk about probably the weirdest result of the day, the Texans 37, the Jaguars 17. Zadicia, full D'Ore. Uh I was just before you were coming on the show, I was just basically like, oh, what happened here? And can you try to tell me what happened here? How did the Jaguars, weren't even really competitive. The Texans mm-hmm. kind of wire to wire in this game. How did this Texans domination of the AFC South favorite Jaguars happen?
8: Yeah, Houston kind of controlled the tempo of the game. Uh, CJ Stroud, 20 of 30 uh, passing. So he passed less than he did in weeks one and two. But he still had a nice flow for the game, passed for 280 yards. His connection with Tank Dell was especially important. They connected on a couple of deep targets, uh, one of them that went for a 68-yard touchdown. And the Jaguars' offense was just out of sync at times. And uh, there were drops, penalties, a lot of false starts that really hurt that team. So that,
2: I was wondering about that, Just uh, some execution mistakes for the Jaguars. I'll ask you a few questions about the Texans' box score in a minute. But, yeah, Calvin Ridley kind of no show. Christian Kirk got the touchdown but uh, half as much yardage as he had in week 2, went from 110 to 54. Evan Ingram a nice PPR game, seven catches for 67 yards, but what what did the eye test just tell you about Trevor Lawrence and the the Jags? I mean, pass catchers. This was it really just as simple as a mistake-filled game that kind of made it impossible to get into a good rhythm.
8: Yeah, it's it's uh, it was a lot of mistakes, a lot of false starts. Um, Calvin Ridley himself had two pretty big drops. One of them would have been a touchdown, and it ended up being a field goal attempt that missed. So instead of 7 nothing Jaguars, it was nothing-nothing uh, for the Texans. And then he had another crucial drop. Um, Evan Ingram's going to have those kinds of games where he sees a lot of volume, short yardage looks uh, as the Jags try to get the offense going. Travis Etienne was utilized a lot, but uh, there was drops, false starts, and a lot of those types of issues for the Jaguars offense that uh, didn't really help. But Trevor Lawrence had a pick late that also sealed their fate.
2: So yeah. Pick. There was a loss. Fumble from Jamal Agnew. Maybe that was on special teams, but uh, they're going to need to get that cleaned up ahead of week four in London against the Falcons. So not a good week to be making adjustments when you're literally flying to England, but by the way, you mentioned Travis Etienne. We still love the touch count, of 23 touches. Tank Bigsby did have the vulture. Was that the extent of it, just kind of a random vulture and nothing really to be concerned about with Travis Etienne's usage?
8: Yeah, not too much to be concerned about. Um, Tank Bigsby's vulture, it came on a drive where he had a really nice run, but it was called back due to penalty. So it sort of feels like uh, two plays later, they just brought him in to finish off the drive um etn definitely dominated the touches and he's going to continue to dominate those touches nothing really out of the ordinary ordinary for his red zone usage either so uh bigsby was just brought in for that goal line touchdown for now maybe something to monitor but it seems like it was out of the ordinary from, from usual
2: I mean, first time cj Stroud was under 40 attempts only 30 like you said three straight games without a pick now 280 yards and 30 attempts it's pretty efficient over eight yards per attempt this past two games. Did the eye test tell the same story? The C.J. Stroud box score, who, if you're going only on box scores, has been far and away the best rookie rookie quarterback so far this season.
8: Yeah, he hasn't thrown a pick yet, and he really hasn't had too many that, at least based on the eye test, are turnover-worthy plays. Um, Nico Collins took a backseat today, which is usually well, – I was going to ask you about
2: that. Why did Nico Collins not do anything? Um, um,
8: very bad for me. It was it was a little strange because Nico Collins didn't even get a target until the second quarter, and then he only got one in the whole second half, but that was sort of the Texans were up and kind of controlling the clock. Um, it was really because Tank Dell was connecting with um, CJ Stroud on a couple of those deep balls, and uh, Stroud and Dell's connection pretty pretty alive and well. So it seems like going forward Dell's going to be – one of their lead guys with Collins and then behind that sort of um, a variety of the uh, Robert Woods, maybe John Mechie as he ramps up.
2: It's strange that it took Noah Brown going on IR to kind of solidify Tank Dell there, but yeah, he seems to be the guy. I mean, no, N- N- Nico Collins couldn't end up leading in targets still, but it, Noah Brown coming back, isn't going to like take Tank Dell off the field. He has forced his way onto the field, maybe even ahead of Robert Woods, the guy where, just all the narrative is just coming together for Tank Dell. There was a reason we were excited about him. It's coming to fruition the past two weeks. Uh, the final thing this backfield, Devin Singletary, nine carries. He out gained Damian Pierce forty one to thirty one on the ground. Damian Pierce did have out carry him fourteen to nine. He got the touchdown. But been a pretty pretty mediocre three games if you were a Damian Pierce drafter. Any negative, any positive takeaways for Damian Pierce from this game?
8: Um Takeaways in in general, uh, I won't really say negative or positive, but he was inefficient, but he he gets those goal line touches. He scored a goal line touchdown. So it sort of balances out in terms of inefficiencies with a little bit of a banged up offensive line that was better in pass protection than rushing today. Um, But those goal line touches will supplement Damian Pierce's fantasy value. And he's also getting some of that passing work that Devin Singletary sometimes gets tapped for. Singletary was, was more used in the fourth quarter while the Texans were up, giving Pierce more of the breather. But um, outside of some third downs and passing usage, Singletary is really ceding a lot of the touches to Damian Pierce.
2: Really, really good stuff from Adichia, who's off to a great start for us. Blair. we got to get you some articles, by the way. You, you've written a lot of good articles in your your fantasy career. we got to get some articles up on Roll from Adichia. Give him a follow on Twitter at ADI underscore FUL. Aditya, thanks so much. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks. We now welcome in Lawrence Jackson, who had one of the snoozier affairs of the day. Uh, Chiefs 41, Bears 10. This game was 34 to nothing at halftime, 41 to nothing, midway through the third quarter. A lot of interesting stuff on the Chiefs' side, as there usually is this year, as they're trying to sort out the receiver core and their backfield. But we'll start with the Bears kind of had the feeling of like a do-or-die game for this Bears offense and for Justin Fields where they had to show something. Um, is it safe to say they are now deceased, Lawrence? Uh,
9: well, I ain't going to say they're deceased because they get to play the Broncos who just gave up 70 points this week.
2: <laughs> and the second-most yards in NFL history.
9: Yeah, uh-huh. the, they'll be a little better against them. We always knew the Bears wasn't going to win this game and even – knew it would probably be double digits. The The hope was that, uh, you know, Justin Fields could scrounge up some of those fantasy points while trying to come back. And, and I guess at least DJ Moore salvages uh, fantasy day, catching that late touchdown, real late. Um, hey, we're talking
2: real late because I didn't know this had happened until I pulled up the box score five seconds yeah, ago.
9: Yeah, he, and he still ended with three – catches for 41 yards but the total the whole offense was a disaster uh you know Justin Fields did make an effort to uh to run the ball more but even that felt like it was a strain um he ended up something in the 10 carries for 46 yards um you know Khalil Mack lost the fumble the Chiefs got great field position and then just went up 21 zip uh, it was really tough. Uh, Roshan Johnson and Khalil Herbert seemed to be in a 50-50 uh, committee split at this point. Um, there's just nothing nothing you could say good about it. The, the, Justin Fields had two deep balls that were thrown. Pretty good on the money. One was dropped by DJ Moore. I was gonna ask you about
2: that. That was kind of a game changer, wasn't it? I think it was twenty one nothing at the time, and he yeah, just had that, a really that, bad That would have
9: helped drop. him out a lot. That would have helped him out a lot. Uh Chase Claypool dropped a deep one as well, but we kind of come to expect those kinds of things from him is he only had one catch for uh fifteen yards Or What a trade that was. Uh <laughs> <It's> <laughs> but not yeah, looking good just literally, like, not even Cole Komet, no one was, no one was going. Then you got Justin Fields going in, they get inside the five, he gets slammed down, he gets up looking all woozy, Uh, you know, DJ Moore kind of helps, escorts him off the field, and you think he's out for the game, nah, he comes back in the next series to you know, uh, try to get that, try to get that touchdown, but on the Chiefs' side of things, it's the complete opposite. Patrick Mahomes is the man. The problem is, it's hard to start a receiver on that Chiefs' offense.
2: Which is incredible, because, like you said, he's he's not just the man. He's well, he he's the the man. He's the best yeah. football
9: player. Like they like to say Earth. that he's him. <laughs> he, he is. There's a lot of
2: people claiming to be him. Patrick Mahomes is him. Uh, 272 yards, three touchdowns, and only 33 attempts. Which is just a huge accomplishment because like you said, this receiver core will not shake itself out. Kadarius Tony, one catch for negative one yards. Uh, Rasheed Rice, the second round rookie, did leave the receiver group in targets. He had seven. Yeah. Travis Kelsey had eight.
9: Uh anything. Rasheed Rice scored nearly scored a touchdown. He got stopped at the one inch line and then they uh then they just ran it in. I believe that was Clyde Edwards Lair. Um and speaking of the Chiefs running backs, you know, you'll see that you'll see on the box score that Jared McKinnon scored twice, and it was crazy because he only touched the ball five times and <laughs> he only had two carries. Everything was by the goal line, but they really trust him when it comes to to uh pass protection and just not being a guy who will put the ball in harm's way. Um I would say Clyde Edwards-Helaire was the least involved early, even though he did score his touchdown. He scored the Chiefs' second touchdown, but he did most of his work later in the game. Uh, by the time like Blaine Gabbert was in the game, throwing interceptions and stuff.
2: That's good to know. As a Pacheco manager, because I saw the tied in carries, and I was definitely wondering when the that Ceh work came. I was hoping. It was during garbage time, so reassuring. Yeah,
9: most of it yeah. was, but he did get a touchdown. He did – Clyde Edwards helaire did get his touchdown when it mattered, but it was because he had – they had to spell uh, Pacheco. Uh, I
2: think he was he, running I, angry, man. Pacheco was looking really yeah, good he, when I was he, diving he, in and out of this game.
9: Yeah, he's uh, – yeah, he's he's hyped up. He's, <laughs> he's,
2: he's keyed up. He
9: does. He is high. Yeah. He's, uh,
2: Do people still say extra? He He's extra. Yeah,
9: he is extra. But <laughs> what's even more impressive was, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes still learning his receivers. And again, it's the Bears' defense. So this is exact, exactly what you wanted to do to them. He did this in two and a half quarters worth of work, and then he was done. Had a little injury scare there with the ankle, but it ended up being okay. Even in the initial replay, it didn't look like it was as bad as it no. was last year. So, you know, uh, he should be fine. And this whole offense, you know, they'll come to Jersey next week and face the Jets who are – they? the defense is good, but the defense can only be as good as much as the offense can help them in sustain drives. So that will be interesting as well.
2: It will be a tougher test for the Chiefs, but if the Jets don't sustain any offense, it won't really matter how good the Jets' defense is, and the Chiefs will still get their numbers. Yeah, there's no separation between Sky Moore, Kadarius Tony, and Rasheed Rice. We're just in a holding pattern. I we, we don't really have anything useful. I feel like to tell the listeners there. It's, it's just a holding. Keep keep waiting basically, and hope that someone takes over this receiver
9: core. No one to really that you could really count on a star because they truly. they they just. It could just be the the fact that they just don't have that true number one receiver, and you know, it might be better for the chiefs to just operate as a quote unquote, receiver by committee,
2: which they did to an extent last year, and they're definitely doing this year. yeah, if there's anyone who can do it, it's Patrick Mahomes, who
9: yeah. Juju <laughs> was their leading receiver with nine hundred and thirty three yards. I'm not sure the Chief's receiver. We'll have that this season. It'll no. be tough.
2: Mahomes came in as the QB three and had three more touchdowns. So he's the Superman. Uh, Lawrence, thank you so much. We'll try to get you a more competitive game next week.
8: <laughs> it's
2: all good. <laughs> thank you so much, Lawrence. We now welcome in Mark Garcia, the Seahawks, 37 to 27 over the Carolina Panthers. Bryce Young did not start this game. Adam Thielen did question mark Adam Thielen went nuclear. I really wasn't where I was planning to start, but uh, Adam Thielen had himself an old ball game. Uh, What was going on with this Panthers passing attack? Is it fair to say Andy Dalton looks like a better option for the Panthers right now than Bryce Young? Not that we want Andy Dalton out there for the Panthers.
5: Yeah. And putting them, putting ourselves in their shoes, they're probably just committed to the, the, you know, getting Bryce Young some, some reps here, but um, no, the Andy Dalton was an interesting, guy coming into this matchup because he had run the second most slot snaps of any wide receiver in the league coming into the game. He had been in a pass route at 100% frequency um coming for over the first two weeks of the season. And he's playing this outside in funnel Seahawks cover 2 Tampa 2 type defensive shell um that that tilted the expected pass production over the middle of the field. So everything kind of aligned plus the veteran connection with Andy Dalton everything kind of aligned for him to where he was just that that leaned on piece I mean he still had a small a low a dot um and Andy Dalton chucked the football 58 times uh, which allowed him to see yeah see those 14 targets but yeah it kind of just was a everything lined up for Andy or for Adam Phelan here
2: we don't want to focus too much on these Panthers receiving stats because again Bryce young, is going to be the starter when he's healthy, but he sounds very questionable for week four where they're playing the Vikings who can't stop the pass. They can't stop the run. DJ shark had a big day in Seattle inefficient day. 11 targets only caught four of them. but Turned it into 86 yards and a touchdown. I mean, is this going to be a thing this week where if Bryce young gets ruled out early? We're going to be like Adam Thielen and DJ shark are two of the keys to week four fantasy.
5: Yes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Jonathan Mingo also left um, at the beginning. He, he did not come back out with the team from halftime. So left, we'll say in the early third quarter, um, which he, he was out with concussion symptoms. So watch that as something to watch heading into week four as well. Um, but it was simply a case of those were. Uh, and then you add in Miles Sanders, who was the lion's share in this backfield. Um, those three commanded 34 of the 48 uh, or sorry of the 58 pass attempts. Um, so it was just highly concentrated. They were just doing what they can to try and move the football. They went into half with a lead, a small lead, but a 13 to 12 lead nonetheless. Um, and it just was a, a game plan that looked kind of we have to play this way. Um, and yes, like Bryce could. Return from his ankle injury next week. They The quotes out of Camp Carolina have been, we are hopeful that he will return in week four. Uh, I would expect that they're probably going to want to give him another week with that ankle injury. So, uh, yeah, it could be another week where it's just kind of this team is doing what they can to move the football short area of the field passing. Um, but back to T.J. Shark he was still being utilized in that downfield role that we expect from Chark. And they had some narrow misses with Andy Dalton going deep here. Um, so that is very much um, on the table for week four as well.
2: It is. It is it's It's a good thing you mentioned Jonathan Mingo. Cause I think he was like percolating on an air from an air yards perspective as a guy with unrealized air yards heading into week three. And someone who could, with well, as much as the Panthers were passing the second half could have had a really big game. If he had been out there, Jonathan Mingo. So yeah, for sure. N- not to just only dwell on the Thielen and Shark. by and to I mean, we'll be playing Jonathan Mingo over DJ Shark probably in Week Four. Maybe not Adam Thielen. I guess against the Minnesota Vikings though, they cannot stop a soul. Uh, the Seahawks, kind of weird. We got a, a poor game from the Seahawks in Week One, a good game in Week Two, kind of this mixed game here in Week Three where they did struggle. To put away the Panthers, it wasn't Geno Smith's finest game. It was not a bad game. Uh, he had an interception, no fumbles. Deka Metcalf really cooking, six catches for 112 yards. Tyler Lockett only three for 34. I know he caught a two point conversion, but Jason Jackson Smith and Jigba, so much offseason hype, just kind of can't get that target share behind these two alphas. And what do we tell people, at Jason? Do, are we are we staying patient with Jason? Or was it just too aspirational, even from a first round pick, to expect like weekly consistent fantasy production behind DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett? Yeah, we have to be
5: honest with ourselves that this is a very low pass volume offense to begin with. And what kind of shook me coming into my preparation from a DFS perspective coming into this weekend was to see JSN ranked in the bottom 10 of PFF receiving grades of all wide receivers this year. His performance <laughs> his performance in week three did not help that case. Geno Smith's lone interception was on a pass directed towards JSN over the middle of the field, and the route was not great. He was running an in route from the slot, um, and it was kind of rounded and was not very explosive, and it did not look good, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I was a JSN fan um, coming out of the draft. So, yeah, it was... It's weird to see, honestly, and the fact that we have this low pass volume offense. The fact that DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are just such a high portion of this offense. Um, he's probably going to have to go through some growing pains before he gets there.
2: Yeah, just that's right. Two All Pro ish type talents and DK Metcalf and Tyler. Lockett. I was skeptical on Jason just solely for that reason, not from a Jason talent perspective, but just two really, really good guys. I would say those fears have manifested. Rookies do have a way of coming on strong in the second half of the season. This could just be the growing pains portion for Jason. Fairly tough Giants defense. And we I don't know if you can call the Giants defense tough anymore, actually. I don't know what to say about the Giants. So the Giants, the Bengals, the overachieving Cardinals, then the Browns, then the Ravens, the Commanders. Not a great schedule for the Seahawks. So we'll see where we're at with Jason at the season midway point. Closing out the game, Ken Walker, 21 touches, almost 150 yards of scrimmage. Maybe he did have 150 yards of scrimmage. How many receiving yards? Yeah, he had over 150 at 59 yeah. receiving yards. Did seed some work. To Zach Charbonnet, 10 touches, 9 catches, 46 yards. But we're getting exactly what we wanted and needed from Kenneth Walker so far this season, are we not? Any holes to poke here in the, the Ken Walker's usage?
5: No, the, the usage is great. The biggest hole that you can poke in Ken Walker is the – Inefficiency in the red zone of this offense as a whole. I mean, you look back in the first half of their week two game, they managed seven points. They managed only 13 points against the Rams in week one. And even during the first three quarters of this one, their first score, their first five times on the scoreboard were all field goals. So that is not what we want to be seeing, but they, he did. Um, I mean, his scores were both inside the 10 yard line. So that's good to see that he is still commanding the line, share of the red zone work. That's what we want. in Our lead back. We want the opportunity to score touchdowns. Right. Um, so from a fantasy perspective, he's going to be just fine.
2: You were not kidding. Three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen 12, 15 for the Seahawks. Yeah. I did. That was one Sunday stat. I had not heard yet. I'm really, yeah. really glad Ken Walker came in and cleaned up that mess. Uh, Mark Garcia, only one game this week, but you're usually going to be having two. always dropping some real serious knowledge. You are watching Sunday Night Football right now. Uh, thanks for taking some time to hop in with us and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Of course. We'll see you guys. Zach Kruger is here to take us through the final two games of our Sunday. That was the Green Bay Packers 18, the New Orleans Saints 17. And of course, The Dallas Cowboys with the worst loss by any team all season, although it's a little hard to say. The Cardinals have overachieved all three weeks and are probably just a little better than we thought. We'll get to the Cowboys and Cardinals in a minute. We'll start with the Packers and Saints, though. I'll I'll try to paint the broad brush picture here for a sec. Is it fair to say this was a tale of two games where it's not like the Saints are blowing the doors off Lambeau Field, but they seemed to control of this game for Derek Carr, injured his shoulder, and the production seemed quite limited after Derek Carr departed. Is it that simple? Or was there more uh, to the story there?
7: No, I think it kind of is that simple. I, mean, I you, you mentioned that the Saints never really seemed to have complete control of the game. They did have the the fourteen to zero score early on after. Uh, a Jimmy Graham receiving touchdown, which you know we we had to hop in the Delorean a, just uh, to get to that. But he is
2: uh, still uh, in the league. Breaking news is, on the podcast. Yes, Jimmy Jimmy Graham, still, Jimmy in the Graham.
7: The still in the league. His first target of the season went for eight yard touchdown, and then Rashid Shahid had I think it was like a seventy six yard punt return touchdown later on in the first half to kind of get them out early. But there there was nothing really going on on either side of the ball in the first half that. How do you feel as if the offense was controlling the game and putting up points? The Saints managed just the one offensive touchdown to Jimmy Graham. We know that the Packers obviously scored a couple touchdowns late, which we'll touch on in a little bit here. But um, I would say, if anything, the Saints offense became somewhat noticeably more stalled in the second half after Derek Carr exited, they were already not doing tremendous. James Winston didn't play terrible in this game, 10 of 16 passing 101 yards. But, but I think at one point in time, it was something like the saints had punted six straight times after Winston had gotten into the game, which, you know, the, you don't ever want that to happen. He, he no. never really got the offense and in, in many positions to score when he finally did, it was for an attempted at possibly the game winning field goal, which was missed late in the fourth quarter. Um, I I think it's going to be Winston going forward for at least the next couple of weeks after Derek Carr's shoulder injury. They they say they believe he suffered a sprained AC joint in his throwing shoulder on a sack, which is what ultimately knocked him from the game. They don't think it's going to be season ending, but they they do are they do act like he's gonna be missing some time. So uh, certainly more on, on car to, to come. We'll probably have more clarity on his situation later on, but it was yeah. it was definitely a tale of two halves.
2: A sprained AC joint. Sometimes running backs and receivers won't miss any time with that, and they will play in like a ton of pain. But with the throwing shoulder, it's really, really not possible for a quarterback. Yeah. So he's gonna the Jameis, this coaching staff, they don't let Jameis cook. I will say that. They do not <laughs> let Jameis Cook. And it could maybe be a bad thing for Chris Olave, but Chris Olave is doing a lot of damage down the field. Three straight – I believe three straight 100-yard games to begin the season. I think he's hit that mark all three weeks. I'm talking to confirm that yet. I know 86 yards mixed in, but at least six catches for 86 yards all three games. Eight for 104 in Green Bay. Uh, what was the nature of his production? Was this more with Derek Carr? Was this some with Jameis? I, I don't think Jameis is going to be a killer for Chris Olave either way.
7: No, I don't think it's going to be a killer for Olave. I I think Olave kind of enjoyed success with both quarterbacks on the field. I I wrote down in the blurbs that he had multiple catches of 20-plus yards on the day. When when they got to be... Uh, kind of do-or-die mode for the Saints. I, it did seem like Winston was kind of uncorking a few more balls to Olave's way to get them in scoring position to, again, set them up for the game-winning field goal, which was ultimately missed. But if we there's one thing we know about Winston. It's that he can air it out when he needs to. We saw at a point in time in this game where he needed to air it out to get them in the scoring position. He did that. He did it successfully. The field goal attempt was a 46-yard try. That's by no means... You know, saying that you're well out of range for this NFL kicker should be able to hit that, just didn't go their way today. But Winston, when he had to ramped it up a little bit, Olave was definitely the beneficiary of that late. Um, and like you said, he's he's got 200 yard games in his first three outings. Uh, he he saw 11 targets in this one, he's been a regular target hog in the offense. I, I think that Olave can still benefit from winston um who who just has the ability to push the ball downfield at will the question is sometimes is it going to end up in his receivers hands or in the hands of a defender but uh no interceptions today for winston so we're one for one as far as that goes
2: nothing exciting mike thomas who's kind of every game in that six catch 50 yard range just very very limited explosion Uh, can't really say a ton about the saints backfield kendra miller was the leader with nine carries for 34 yards but alvin kamara is coming back in week four um. So you kind of throw out what you know about the Saints' backfield heading into week four against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Kendra Miller will probably be the backup. With Jamal Williams injured reserve? Is that right? Did I make that up? No,
7: no, you did not. Jamal Williams on injured reserve. So Williams is out three more games after this week. Uh, a, a couple interesting notes on this Tony Jones per the uh, PFF snap counts, Tony Jones outsnapped Miller 30 snaps to, to 21 the, it was it was four targets actually to Tony Jones to Miller's one as well, which I thought was kind of surprising. Uh, Miller obviously profiled as that receiving back out of TCU who we thought was maybe going to have the quote unquote Alvin Kamara role this season injuries didn't help him get in that role the first two weeks and uh this week it was actually uh tony jones who handled more of the targets in the passing game so it wasn't a bad outing for miller what what we saw from tony jones is what you expect to see from tony jones at this point in time uh i would say wait and see on this backfield if you're able to stash miller and keep him on your lineup for another week or two to see if he actually is the the backup running back to camara That could be optimal. I mean, I think he has a talent. I think he has a size to be in that role. We know what the Saints like to use two running backs when they can. The Next week could actually be the first week where they they really can, where Jamal Williams actually is out. Um, And then it'll be Kamara and someone between Jones or Miller. We don't quite know who. Yeah,
2: I was trying to project a growing role for Kendra Miller. But as you correctly pointed out, it's not a given. And Tony Jones was the feature guy the week before. And Kendra Miller narrowly got him on the production front, but yeah, Tony Jones' usage remained quite a problem. No real yeah. Packers box score stands out here. Jordan Love only one touchdown on 44 attempts. His flukily high touchdown rate finally came down. You didn't find Romeo Dobbs five times for 73 yards and score. Jaden Reed, 63 more yards. Luke Musgrave, not a horrible PPR day, six for 49. Any macro takeaways to his Packers offense were talking about an offense and a holding pattern? They they need Christian Watson back so bad. They need Aaron Jones back. I feel like similar similarly difficult situation. To have like really concrete going forward takeaways.
7: Yeah, I think we, number one, I would say we, we're we're in our third game of the season. This is also arguably the first game where Romeo Dobbs is healthy. He saw a season high twelve targets, seven three seventy three yards, and one touchdown. I'll be interested to see the end zone targets for this game once we have the data available to us because. Dobbs's touchdown came on a back shoulder throw in the end zone, but I feel like Love. Targeted him three to four times in the end zone, which you know we we look for little things like that for fantasy purposes when it comes to red zone efficiency or the the green zone when guys are down near in the ten yard line. Uh, Dobbs is a guy who has always I thought shown very good body control and awareness of the football when it's in the air to come kind of come down with those short catches in space with limited field to work with. So the fact that he saw some of these looks in the end zone, hauled one of them in for a key touchdown in the game, I thought was of note and certainly twelve targets matters a lot. The other thing that stood out to me. Was was aj Dillon? uh just uh, i wrote in the blurb he's 0 for two in spot starts for aaron jones as far as fantasy managers are concerned he has 27 touches uh over these last two games for 96 scoreless yards he was actually spelled for running back patrick taylor on the packers first touchdown of the day when uh, uh jordan love ran in on a read option on i believe it was a fourth down it was a one yard touchdown run and it was patrick taylor who was actually on the field That's not good. AJ Dillon who he just AJ Dillon was game not
2: game. targeted in the passing game by the way. Patrick Taylor had four targets.
7: Yeah, so that's the other thing. He 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 was spelled down near the goal line for Patrick Taylor. Patrick Taylor uh but in all, you know, all fairness, quote unquote destroyed him. I'm going to say in the passing game four targets <laughs> to zero. So so like that all really stood out to me for a guy who we're kind of profiling as the guy to have if Aaron Jones goes down and for 2 weeks AJ Dillon has just been a guy to have when Aaron Jones goes down, not the guy to have. So um, that's to really well. yeah,
2: two seasons for A.J. Dillon's <laughs> unfortunately looking like not that great of an NFLer and ha- had some unique skills on paper, but it is not translating so far. Uh, well, so far it's his fourth season. Uh, it's
7: not always it's enough to look like Derrick Henry uh, from a body perspective. And someone
2: who might feature better just as a true change of pace when you're used to facing kind of the the lightning of Aaron Jones. Uh, The thunder of A.J. Dillon isn't doing so well as a lead back. You know who's not doing so well on Sunday, Zach, was the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, What on earth happened here? Dak Prescott, bad question mark.
7: So I, I'm going to have to go back and watch this game again. Dak didn't necessarily stand out to me as being like some atrocious.
2: See, let me rephrase that question sometimes. too. Sorry to interrupt you, but too, uh, just yeah, Dak, bad question mark, but also more just what ailed this Cowboys offense in the desert?
7: I think it was honestly just a mixture of not being able to completely put together an offensive drive by way of either just the plays themselves or also penalties. The Cowboys had, I believe it was nine offensive penalties in this game, which is never going, or I'm sorry, six offensive penalties in this game, which is still enough to hamper uh, uh, offense and you know stall you out on any given drive on any given down and distance. Prescott himself, 25 of 40 passing, 249 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He He certainly didn't. Uh, light up the scoreboard, which Mike McCarthy's not going to be complaining about that, I guess. But no. <laughs> uh, it, 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 I it, it it just wasn't – I don't know what the out, how I would describe this outing. We had three receivers who saw seven or more targets. Uh, CeeDee Lamb himself also had six. Uh, they, they spread the ball around. I thought they did a lot with it. I thought that Tony Pollard, you know, 122 yards on the ground on 23 carries. He was more than efficient in this game. That was
2: very I, good to see.
7: Yeah, it, to me, it just kind of looked like a case of an offense that thought that they were going to be able to do more against a defense that came out far more aggressive than they anticipated, and as a result, the plays just were never able to be strung together to result in many scoring drives. And what you end up with is a, a twenty-eight to sixteen defeat against the Cardinals team, who everyone's talked about as potentially tanking this season, and they're they're one and two, but they have given you know, arguably more effort than any other team in the league for three weeks to try to stay in the game and have played like a team that could just as closely be <laughs> 3-0 if not for a couple, you know, implosions That's and true. things going wrong for them late.
2: And you don't want to totally excuse this Cowboys performance, but there was probably a bit of a human nature factor where they had totally dominated and controlled the pace of play of their first two games, the Giants and the Jets, and just probably understandably were counting on something similar against the card. I'm sure they didn't take them lightly, but... It would be hard to shake the idea if you were a Dallas Cowboy, I'm assuming heading into Sunday that they were going to dominate the pace and tempo of this game, and it just did not happen. It, so, it, a forgivable not, lapse, I would say, from the Cowboys.
7: Yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a one-off when we look back on this, you know, in three months. But it, it was also a game today where you want to talk about controlling the pace? That was what the Arizona Cardinals did in this game. And, and I think this is kind of gonna be their model going forward as long as they can do it. James Conner, 14 carries, 98 yards, one touchdown. The Cardinals ran the ball combined 30 times for 222 yards and two touchdowns. Man. We we also know that is one uh Devon A-Chain performance, apparently. But <laughs> um
2: <laughs> Just like but, one out but, two day in baseball, that's one a
7: that's that's exactly correct uh but but the cardinals averaged 7.4 yards per carry in this game highly efficient um on the ground against you know one of the best defensive units in the league joshua dobbs he did what he had to do 189 yards passing one touchdown that came to marquise brown brown himself had a solid day as well through the air 561 and one on seven targets and marquise brown is kind of a guy who um you know, he's he shown up the, the first couple of weeks. He's the unquestioned wide receiver one for the Cardinals. And if this is going to kind of be their model where they're going to run as much as they can, they're going to find that one guy who is the target hog. Uh, it's either going to be Marquise Brown or I guess maybe Zach Ertz. Ertz only had two targets in this game. But, but Brown is kind of, I think, on my radar as a fringe wide receiver three, wide receiver four, where I understand his quarterback isn't necessarily the guy I want. You know, targeting my wide receivers. But if I'm in a league deep enough where I can rely on a guy like Brown to get six or seven targets in a game, then I still think he's explosive. I still think he has good hands, and he's clearly being looked to as a primary pass catcher, at least as far as receivers go, for the, for the Arizona Cardinals.
2: Yeah, Marquise, could keep a, he could keep a solid PPR base, and we know that in theory he has that big playability. So no, I no. agree that Marquise is hanging around those lower-end wide receiver three ranks. We'll just close real quick on the Cowboys. You mentioned it could be a one-off. We're going to find out very quickly if it's a one-off for the Cowboys because it's the Patriots next week, then the 49ers two weeks after that. So two more really tough defenses. And we'll see Michael Gallup, six catches for 92 yards, and signs of life from Michael Gallup. Uh, CeeDee Lamb, quiet game, four catches for 53 yards. Jake Ferguson, who we're trying to decide if he's a thing in fantasy, five catches for 48 yards. Just real quick, did you notice anything actionable with any of those Cowboys pass catchers?
7: It's hard to say for me because you see this this Gallup line, six catches on seven targets, 92 yards. But this this is also really the first game of note that he has had in this one. Again, they, they had um, four different players see seven targets. So I, I would say the encouraging thing that I see here is they spread the ball around to everyone um, at a fairly decent rate. Uh, seven targets for Cooks, Lamb, Michael Gallup, and then also Ferguson. Ferguson, I think, is actually the one who stood out to me when I looked back on it and I was blurbing this game afterwards. He has had, I believe, five, seven, and seven targets in his first three games, which is... For for a position that's pretty much a wasteland, you, you if you can get five to seven targets a game, yeah, you could you're be taking happy. notice. Yeah, yeah. With you your streaming, so so Ferguson has at least had reliable targets. His first two weeks, he only had 11 yards. So to, to ramp that up to 48 yards this week, that's a solid 9.8 fantasy points uh, day. If you're if you're playing full PPR leagues, we would take that from a tight end on any given week. So Jake Ferguson is the one who stood out to me. Just from an overall consistency standpoint as this is a tight end who for through three weeks has been getting targeted enough to i think at least be considered fantasy relevant from a streaming perspective um and then cooks two catches on seven targets for 17 yards he he was injured this past week i don't know how much that held him up he certainly played enough snaps where you would think that wasn't uh you know hampering him but it just you know not a lot of production through cooks in his first two games as a cowboy
2: He's quiet quitting. He quiet quit. Like he's just keeping it. He quiet quitting was a fake trend except for Brandon cooks. That's right. Uh, we are for real quitting the show. Cause we're out of games to talk about. Thank you so much to Zach, to Denny, to Kyle, to Eric, to Aditya, to Lawrence, to Mark Garcia, really, really good stuff. Breaking down these games. We're gonna have really good stuff all week. Breaking down these games. Zach will be grinding blurbs all day. Monday. He does really, really good stuff with that. Monday morning and Monday afternoon. The snap counts, the injuries, stuff like Derek Carr. Keep it locked to Roto World. Check out all of our articles coming out. I can't even name all of them. So there's just way too many of them. Podcasts, Q&As. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for reading. Uh, for Zach, I'm Pat. We'll be back later this week.
1: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up?